time off. Hope he is blessed with that. So, going to be finishing up here what he started last week with chapter 4. So, before we do that, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just come before you and... Uh, Lord, it is great to hear of your work in the various ministries uh, we support out here at church. Uh, pray for sufficient grace ministry, Lord. Uh, we pray for the uh, the prayer chain that happened there at Putnam County, Lord. Uh, pray that you be glorified in all the works, Lord, that they do. Uh, Lord, as we get ready to prepare your, to uh, study your word this morning, uh, give us wisdom with it. Uh, let your spirit guide and direct. Amen. Oh, and Lord, we also just pray for our pastor uh, and his family as they take some uh, time off to, to be together. Pray you bless their time. Amen. All right, then. So, uh, Pastor James is going through the book of Galatians. So, a uh, quick recap of the book of Galatians. Paul being the author here of the letter. And um, there's a group of teachers who were teaching Gentile Christian converts uh, that they were obligated to keep the Jewish uh, cultural customs of the Mosaic Law. So when we talk about Mosaic Law, we're talking about dietary laws, circumcision, and the rest of the ceremonial law uh, that's, uh, that they had to follow. They were being told to, in order to please God. Uh, so if you want to take a look at what that encompassed, you know, you can look at the book of Leviticus and more of those Old Testament books uh, in regards to ceremony, uh, ceremonial law there, such as Leviticus. So uh, before we start here and look at the rest of chapter four here, a question to consider this morning here is how would you explain the gospel uh, to someone who asked you today what you believe about it? How would you explain the gospel to someone who asked you about it to, in order in regards to what you believe about it. So let's keep this question in mind as we're going to go over this here. So I'm going to read from two different uh, translations today. One is going to be New Living, and the other one's going to be New King James. So I'm going to start out uh, with the uh, New Living translation, and then we'll transition to uh, the New King James. So if anyone's wondering what's happening, that's what's happening. So uh, let's start here in verse 8 here. So, uh, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slave to so-called gods that do not even exist. And now you, that you have found God, or should I say now that God has found you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual powers of this world? You're trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do on certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. I am afraid that all my hard work for you is worth nothing. So... When I was getting prepared for this and looking at the book of Galatians here, so right in the first chapter, after Paul has his greeting, he tells them, Hey, church, what are you doing? What are you doing? False teachers are leading you astray by telling you that you have to follow uh, these laws in addition to Christ in order to be justified uh, by God. So here, and uh, as we look at this, Paul expresses more of his concern here for the Galatian believers here. So as we look at that verse uh, he mentions what their life was uh, pre-conversion before they came to know Christ. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So there's one, there's one example we have of them before Christ. And he mentions to them you know, that they followed gods that, weren't, that don't even exist. So he's making reference here to uh, what their lifestyle was before they came to Christ. And that lifestyle was uh, probably immoral and idol-worshiping because he makes reference to the gods that don't exist. And um, uh, as I stated, this is their reference of, a, of their lives before they came to know Christ. Then he transitioned to their current state here. Um, verse 9, and now that you have found God, or should I say that now that God has found you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual powers of this world? So we know that before they came to Christ, they were slaves, what? Slaves to sin. And now that they're being introduced to this false teaching here, 
Paul's giving them another warning uh, about a warning about not to be enslaved to under bondage to the law. So he says, you're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or season or years. So um, he's stating to them, why do you want to go back to this weak and worthless elementary principles in this world? So if we take a look at that, he's not saying they're going to go back to their pre, um, their lifestyle before Christ. He's saying that they're going back to something if they're going to follow the law as they're being led to by these false teachers. If they're going to do that, uh, they're going to put themselves in under slavery again. Um, and he's comparing that. He's stating basically that by adding the Mosaic law uh, to Christ in order to please God, it's just as bad as their previous life. And so t- to kind of give an example, of that, it's like having, oh, well, we have a religious person and a non-religious person. And if the religious person is doing works in order to gain justification, in order to get justified, be justified by God or in order to please God, there's just as bad as a person that has no concern or regard for God. And he's telling them to be, to be concerned about this because this is a dangerous place here that they're in. Because um, in both cases, if we, t- if we look at the religious person and the non-religious person, they're both lost, they're both enslaved, and they're both trying to be their own Savior and Lord, but in different ways. Uh, being your own Savior and Lord, that's what Paul is talking about when he describes them as following weak and worthless elementary principles of this world. So what does this look like today when we talk about the religious person? Well, a religious person, you know, they can go to church, uh, they can be involved in ministry to others, they can read their Bible, um, those are all good things in and of themselves. But if they're doing these things uh, to, to, to make that their acceptance before God or good standing with God, that's where the problem is. They are, in essence, in essence relying on work salvation. And it's dangerous because this is not something that is easily detected. Uh, the irreligious person knows he is far away from God, but the religious person does not. So... That's why I asked the question, how would you describe the gospel to someone today who asks you what you believe about the gospel? Uh, the reason I mention that is because, let's fast forward here uh, to 2017. We know that Paul wrote this uh, letter here to the church uh, circa 49 AD, give or take a couple years. And here we are, 2017, we're studying the book, right? So what application does it have for us today? What do pe- people believe today when we talk about the gospel? Uh, he makes mention, I'm going to read here, verse 10 again. Um, You're trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do on certain days or months or seasons or years. Uh, Last month uh, was the month of May, right? So we, uh, Cinco de Mayo, uh, May 5th, we had a uh, celebration uh, at my workplace, part of an employee resource group called the Hispanic Initiative Initiative Team. And for Cinco de Mayo, we did some dinners to try and raise some funds for some college scholarships. Uh, so for this dinner, we offered uh, tostadas and tamales. So tamale, if you ever, ha- if you never had one, it's a food dish that is made with masa or dough. It's usually corn-based, and it's steamed in a corn husk or a banana leaf. So, and they're typically filled with meats. And that day, we served pork tamales. So uh, people that paid for the dinner came through the line in order to get the food served to them. And uh, so as they're coming down through the line, they got their place for getting the food served. I'm in the serving line. And there's an employee uh, from my workplace that comes through the line. He says, uh, I'm going to pass on tamale. I don't want it because it has pork in it. So, so when he says that, it's like, I'm interested, right? So why, why no pork? Um, had familiarity with this employee. We, we met last year at the previous dinner that we did. And um, 
Betsy, you know, we were going through the evangelism class at this time, so it's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this guy, why why no pork? And um, and I I said I politely greeted the person, and then I respectfully asked him why why no pork? And guess what he said? He said, well, Bible says not to eat pork. So here we go. I'm in this evangelism class, and I know this guy says, Bible says not to eat pork. I'm gonna please God. I'm not gonna I'm gonna pass this tamale. If you never had a tamale. Try one, it's good. Um, he says, the Bible says not to eat pork. So I was surprised by his response. So, like I said, here's an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation at my workplace about the Bible. So I stated to him, and the line's moving, so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, serve food. And I said, hey, you know that's Old Testament, right? So, and it doesn't apply to Christians today. And he responded back something about Jesus. I didn't fully understand what he had said, but because he's going down the line. And the food line is moving. So I wanted him to be informed, uh, you know, correctly. And I said, hey, I responded back, Jesus fulfilled the law for us is what I told him. He paid everything for us in full. So that ends the conversation. I was glad to be able to tell him that he left with his food. Well, about 10, 15 minutes later, he came back. He comes back and he shows me his mobile phone. And he shows me um, a passage from the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, where it talks about some of the dietary law um, that was given to the Jews, and it says about not eating pork. So I was surprised by this. You know, he took time to come back and tell me, hey, this is the dietary law from Leviticus. Um, so, you know, what do I do? What do I do? Well, so uh, all glory to God. I, what came to mind to me is if you study the book of Acts, and I believe it's in Acts 15, you know, one of the great things about Acts is we have the gospel being shared with the Gentiles, something new, um, at that time was unbelievable to the Jews, sharing the gospel with Gentiles. I can't believe that, you know, we're, God's going to send us to do this. Well, in the book of Acts, Peter has this vision. Uh, Peter has this vision. He's praying uh, about where to go, I believe. And um, he has this vision of a sheet, a sheet that is filled with animals, clean and unclean. And there's a voice that says, Peter, you know, arise, kill and eat. And Peter says, like, he doesn't want to. And uh, Peter does not want to eat these animals in this vision, right? So uh, Peter declines. He, and his reason is he's never eaten anything that is common or unclean, you know, referring to the dietary laws, like such as pork. And, he's te- and then he is told uh, by the voice, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so we there, we know there by studying the book of Acts, it's Cornelius. He had sent some people to uh, Peter, and the gospel gets shared to a household of Gentiles who eventually become believers. A great, uh, great stike, striking point in history in the book of Acts there. Uh, the gospel being shared to the Gentiles. So anyway, I mentioned this because I, I shared this, uh, this story in the book of Acts with this, uh, with this guy. And I don't know what he did with that. But, you know, here was a guy um, who had took something from the Bible, the Old Testament, and he thought, hey, if I don't eat pork, I can please God. And, you know, if we apply that to what we're studying today, it's like Paul, Paul is writing to the believers in at the church here, it's like, hey, you're saved by Christ, by Christ alone. It's not Christ plus your works. It's not Christ plus anything else. It's by Christ alone. And, um, you know, it's not easy for a religious person to know that he is far away from God. And so that's why I share that story, because this person, they thought they were being religious. They thought they were doing good. They thought they were pleasing God by following one of these dietary laws. But, um, you know, hopefully at that moment, just sharing him more about the Bible he was led to, you know, study further in Acts what I said there and what God has done. But uh, this danger that, that Paul has, um, 
he's concerned for the danger that these believers are going to be in as they follow this false teaching. Because as I stated, you know, it's dangerous for a religious person to know that he is far from away from God. So as we go on here, uh, we also read the verse, uh, he says there in verse 9, And now that you have found God, or should I say, now that God has found you. And as believers, uh, I just wanted to stress on the point of that point, now that God has found you. God knows us. God knows us intimately. He knows all about us. We don't have to impress him. Uh, we don't have to make ourselves seem worthy. Uh, the, the previous chapter closed up uh, from this. Uh, Galatians 3 closes. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So take joy in that today, believer. You are known by God. So I'm going to transition here over to the New King James uh, translations here as we go into verse 12 here. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So Paul states here, um, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. From the law, as I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. If you look at Paul, he even talks about his background there in chapter 1. We know that Paul zealously followed the law. He was top of the class, right? He knew the law, bottom to top, A to Z. He knew it. He knew what to do. He so zealously followed the law, he persecuted the church because of it. But what does he tell the Gentiles here? He says, I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So that's why he can say, you know, live as I do. I don't follow those laws anymore. I'm not under bondage to those laws. Please do not be under bondage like I'm not under bondage anymore. So then he goes on to share, you did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you have felt then? So Paul uh, talks a little bit more about his ministry here to the church. And he talks about how his sickness had brought uh, opportunity for him to bring the good news, the gospel, uh, to the believers here um, that became, you know, believers here. And um, uh, Bible talks about his sickness here. Uh, studying the commentaries, he had problems with his eyes, and that's why he makes reference to uh, here, um, uh, verse 15, I'm sure you have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. So Paul had a problem with his eyes at this time uh, that he was in the region there um, sharing the gospel to this church, and it brought him opportunity to stay with them and share, share life with them. And he says... Um, you know, you didn't reject me, you didn't despise me, you didn't turn me away, but you took me in and cared for me. And I like this, because Paul gets to spend time after he shares the gospel with this uh, group of new converts here. And I think he shared life with them, you know, as he talks about there, he has stayed with them, he didn't, they didn't reject him, they didn't turn him away. And he talks about, you cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. And what joy and a grateful spirit they had with him. And... Um, you know, just that transparency we can have in the body of Christ. I think that's important. Um, you know, I shared this morning that Paul's letter to the church is simple and to the point. You know, as I stated, he tells the believers here that the gospel is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. 
It is not through works. Um, in these verses that we're taking a look at, um, you know, he talks about how he had spent time here with the group of believers here, and they became close. They became close-knit together. And uh, if you look at chapter 1, it gives a little bit of life story of Paul about who he was and who he had become in Christ. And um, Paul was transparent with them. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, he who used to persecute, it was said of Paul, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. Paul was transparent with them, and he also used his hardship during that time as an opportunity to be used by God and for his glory. So, you know, we're talking about transparency here. So I share with this, this morning with the first service how about uh, just how what a privilege that is to be uh, in a group of believers that you have close-knit fellowship with and that you can be transparent with. So uh, I think probably close, not quite a year yet, but been meeting with a group of guys here on Saturday mornings from church here. And um, we've been going through the Gospel of John here. We finished that up uh, probably before spring. And um, enjoyed meeting with these guys here. Uh, we just, you know, we study the book of John. We go through the Gospel. And we just talk, you know, we talk about it. We discuss it. How do we live the Christian life? How do we do it faithfully? Uh, and we share about our lives, what's going on, you know, with work, home, uh, etc. Anyway, there was this particular Saturday where I went and I was struggling uh, whether to share about something, a communication problem between me and my wife. Uh, husbands, I'm not going to have you raise your hands if you have a disagreement with your wife. Not, I know that you probably have had that. So, uh, But we had a disagreement, right? A miscommunication. And we were, were struggling to communicate and understand each other. So things were kind of hard and tense at this time. Um, and I just remember sharing to the, I didn't know if I should share this with the group. You know, what are they going to think of me? Oh, you know, so I share with the group and I distinctly remember remember telling the guys, guys, I think I'm the one at fault here. I think I'm the problem here in this, you know, this miscommunication problem with my wife. I, th- I think it's me. And um, one of the guys responded, oh, really? You know, like, not surprised, Renee. And uh, I, I appreciated that because it made me laugh. I appreciated that because, you know, I was transparent with them. They didn't judge me. They didn't ask me to leave. And, you know, we continued to talk about the situation and, you know, how to respond in a godly way. So I was really blessed by the events of that day. And it may seem insignificant to those guys, but, you know, I felt blessed that I can meet with these guys and share with them, you know, real-life problems. Um, And they didn't judge me, uh, but we prayed and we talked about, you know, what I needed to remember and do as a Christian man. And for that, you know, I was very appreciative. And that's, I think that's a little bit of the transparency that... um, if you don't have with a close-knit group of believers, I encourage you to pray and, uh, and seek that out. It's a, it's a blessed thing to be able to do that, to meet with other believers and pray and, you know, talk about the Word of God, how to live the Word of God. And uh, it's, a, it's a great blessing. And I think that gives us an example how close Paul was to the church here and how they cared for each other. And because he has this love and this care for this church, he's able to what? What does he do here? You know, if someone is just reading this offhand, they could think, well, Paul seems kind of direct. Paul seems kind of harsh, but he's not. He, this church, this body of believers know how much that Paul cares for them. And that's why he can just say, hey, you know, these, these are false teachers here. He's able to speak the truth and love about what they're doing now and how it's not good. Uh, these false teachers here, uh, they're not in ministry for God's purpose, but they are doing it for themselves here. Let's pick it up here. Um, Verse 16, have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? You know, Paul's speaking the truth and love to them about 
They do not need to add these works uh, to salvation here uh, in order to please God. He says, these false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. These false teachers are in it for themselves. They're not not in it for the glory of Christ. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for their own pats on the back, their own accolades. Uh, They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. Verse 18, if someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. So once again, these false teachers, you know, they're kind of, they're leading these people astray. And uh, Paul's saying that if they want to do good to you, let it be all the time, not just when I'm with you. Uh, so to take you away from, you know, my teaching that I've given you, which is the true gospel, the only gospel. Uh, verse 19, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so that I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. So Paul here expresses his love for them, for the church here, as a mother does for a child, right? Especially a newborn child. Um, they go through the anguish of childbirth, and now that Paul... You know, it's kind of like their spiritual father in terms of them being converted after he shares the gospel. He is care. He cares for these people so much that he wants them to grow into mature Christians, you know, to be disciples of, of Christ, true disciples of Christ. So that's why Paul has this great concern for them here. So going on, he kind of illustrates their error of, these false, of this false teaching here by this example. So we know that salvation is from Christ and Christ alone. And it's not salvation plus anything else. But Paul is going to give an illustration here in these last 10 verses here. Uh, verse 21. Um, Tell me, you who desire to be under law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. So... Paul's given the church an illustrative example here. We have some Old Testament history here. So it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, which would be Hagar, and the other by a free woman, Sarah. So if you look at the accounts of Genesis, Genesis 12 and 15, God promises Abraham a son, an heir, from which a great nation will come forth. Right? So God made this promise to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham believed it, and he is counted as righteousness for believing it. But... As time goes by, um, Sarah and Abraham do not have a son. So, and we then have uh, Hagar, who was Sarah's servant. Sarah and Abraham had this idea that, okay, um, Sarah says, you can have my servant. Abraham sleeps with Hagar. They have a son named Ishmael. There it is, the promised son. But it's not the promised son from God. And that's an illustration of what Hagar, Sarah, and Abraham did there was salvation, you know, kind of like an illustration of salvation by faith, excuse me, salvation by works. What they did was they tried to make God's promise come to fruition by their own human means, by their own human works. Well, it was by their own, by their own works, and that's not what God had promised. God had promised them a son, and it wasn't through, you know, their works. It was going to be from God. And that would be uh, the other by a free woman, which would be Sarah, and that son would be Isaac. Uh, verse 23, But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. And once again, we have the illustrative picture there of uh, the son born according to the flesh would be Ishmael, and the son uh, through the promise, which would be Isaac, which things are symbolic. For these are two covenants. 
Now he throws in another example, two covenants. We have the two women, uh, the two sons, and now the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. And then he gives the covenant from Mount Sinai. And he says that's just as Hagar was with her son Ishmael. And then uh, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and as is in bondage with her children. Excuse me here. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So, we have the two sons, the two women, and two covenants. So, I think this chapter of Galatians is really deep uh, from a theological perspective. So, I hope, hopefully I can express this simply here. So, as I explained, we have the two sons uh, by the two women, right? We have the son from the works of human, uh, the human works of Abraham. Sarah and Hagar, and then we have the son of the promise, which was from God, and which would be Isaac. Then we have here, Paul throws in here, the two covenants, the one, the covenant of Mount Sinai, and then we have the covenant, what we call the covenant of grace. So Mount Sinai, uh, the covenant law would just be um, the make, being following the law as a means of justification with God, and that being the main principle of life. Kind of like what I said what would encompass the dietary law, the ceremonial law, and circumcision. That would be the covenant, excuse me, the, Mount, the Sinai covenant. And then we have the covenant of grace, which is illustrative of how do believers get salvation today? It is through Christ and Christ alone. We don't earn it. We don't do anything for it. It is by God's grace. It is a gift of His grace. And so that's the picture that Paul gives us here in this chapter here. God promised Abraham a son. And Sarah... You know, gives Hagar her servant to Abraham to bring forth this son, this this heir. But and from that is you know born Ishmael. But that's not the son that God promised. He is a son born according to the flesh, uh, motivated by the lack of faith that Abraham and Sarah had in God to fulfill the promise. Like I said, some years go by. So then, but fourteen years later, after Ishmael is born, God enables. Abraham and Sarah to have Isaac when Sarah is well past the childbearing age and had been barren her entire life. A miracle, right? Only from God. That's who Isaac is, and he represents the covenant of grace, the gift of salvation. Um, so, and also, just wanted to mention here, Paul's not comparing two methods of salvation because we know there's only one way to be saved, right? And that is through Christ and Christ alone. But he's given an example here to the believers here at the church that. Hey, if you continue to follow this false teaching, you're going to be under bondage to this law, as people were in the past. Um, as a, a, excuse me, devotion to circumcision and the law leads to bondage instead of freedom. So don't, he's basically saying, don't follow the Mosaic law for your justification. So while the example of Sarah giving birth to the promised son Isaac represents believers who are justified by faith, we have the birth of Ishmael representing those that are following the law, the Mosaic law, being, you know, doing the works, being under bondage and trying to please God by their works. So there we have the comparison. And faith recognizes the rebellion and sickness of our hearts and looks only to Christ for the forgiveness of sin. So uh, in short summary there, as we looked at those verses there, Hagar's son represents seeking salvation by works. But that is not a salvation. Like I said, there's only one method of salvation. And that is representative of Sarah having Isaac, which was a gift of God's grace. And that's what salvation is, right? A gift of God's grace. We don't earn it. It is not by our works. We cannot please God. God gives us salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His gift of His grace. So, 
what, era, what, excuse me, what Abraham and Sarah tried to do through human means brought disastrous results, and we're going to see that here, verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Uh, nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman should not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free So, we look at these last uh, couple of verses here in this chapter. I, t- I talked about disastrous results, right? Uh, the human works that uh, they tried to do by bringing about the, the promised son, which gave forth uh, Ishmael. Um, we have Ishmael and we have Isaac. What do we know about them? From Ishmael, uh, descendants came, the, you know, the Arabs. And from Isaac would be the Jewish descendants. So, and we know that today they are in conflict with each other. So, there is an example of a disastrous result, you know, Ishmael descendants uh, being at conflict with Isaac's descendants. So we have that. We also know that um, at that time frame, Sarah also took, uh, Sarah was not happy with Ishmael being born and how Hagar and her had now had this conflict between them because Hagar could give birth uh, to a son and Sarah could not. So there's conflict there relationally there as well now for Abraham and Sarah and their family. And then, as I stated spiritually, you know, I gave reference to um, it's dangerous for a religious person uh, to try to be justified through their works, to try to get, uh, be pleasing to God by their works. Because why? They're doing good things, but they're doing it for the wrong reason. They're doing it as a method for their own salvation. And there's danger in that because... As I stated, they don't know that they're far away from God when they do that. So, just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac and the descendants today, we have that persecution there between the Arabs and the Jews. You know, that conflict, as I mentioned, non-believers persecute believers today. Well, how is that? Well, as I stated, if someone who is, uh, we would call religious, um, you know, they may go up to a believer and say, Hey, you know what? You really ought to be... Uh, doing this more. You really be, ought to be doing that more. And, um, you know, it could be something, you really ought to serve more. You really ought to pray more. You really ought to read more. Those things are, f- are fine in, in and of themselves, but if they're doing it for sal- their, um, their own salvation or to be pleasing to God, that is where the danger lies. So, in summary there, you know, I asked the question at the beginning, how would you explain the gospel to someone who asks you today what you believe? Because I think it's important for us to be mind, reminded of this, this, reminded of how how God has given us salvation. It is not through our works; it is through Jesus Christ. And did we do anything to earn that? No, we did not. And it's important to remember that because I think even as believers today, we can get caught up. It's like, man, I'm not doing enough, or you know, I'm struggling right now. I must not be praying enough. I must not be reading enough. It's easy to fall into those traps as believers today that. I feel like I have to do these works to be pleasing to God. So just as one begins the new life by the power of the Spirit and by faith in Christ, we continue the Christian life the same way. We do not begin in the Spirit and become perfected in the flesh. Uh, The Christian life from start to finish is a call to trust God daily. Every step of the way, we look to Christ for our righteousness Those who stumble and fall may be restored again and again as long as they keep running the race by looking to Christ for salvation and putting their trust entirely in Him 
and not in themselves. So uh, that's what I just wanted to end with this morning here. Um, one other uh, point here to quick, quickly make here. So the other picture that we get from Sarah, uh, it says um, there in the verse, it calls her barren, right? Uh, let's see here. Oh, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Uh, you know, talking about um, Sarah being barren. She could not bear a son. Just how uh, God had bestowed the grace uh, of, of the gift of Isaac to uh, Sarah, you know, fast forward to today, to believers, they are given the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, a gift of God's grace, you know, because, you know, we're spiritually barren as well, because we're, you know, being in sin and, and such. So um, that's it for today. Uh, like I said, a lot of theological uh, deep topics here in the book of Galatians here in chapter 4. If you have any questions, you can talk to me after the service, but... Um, um, verse five, excuse me, verse five. Chapter five begins once again with Paul reiterating the freedom we have in Christ. So, um, what a great joy it is to be free from the bondage of uh, having to follow uh, these works, the Mosaic Law. And as I said, it can happen easily today. I mentioned that workplace event that happened. How someone thought by following, you know, dietary law that they're pleasing to God, but. You know, we know that salvation is from Jesus Christ and Christ alone, and it is a gift of His grace, and that we should take joy in every day. Remind ourselves every day, because if someone asks you, "Hey, what's the gospel? What do you believe about it?" You, be, you can be prepared and do that through the power of the Spirit. So, let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, we just give you thanks for studying your book of Galatians this morning, and uh, Lord, I just pray as believers we would be mindful uh, just to. Uh, Preach the gospel to ourselves daily, Lord, to be, to be ready to preach it to others. Um, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. I pray once again, Lord, for the various ministries uh, that we do, that uh, we're doing it for your glory, Lord. We're not doing it for salvation. We're not doing it for, for our good standing. We, we do it because we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Amen. Mark, you want to come up for the final song?